The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Beloved, the service of ordered worship this day in liturgy, music, and homily is given over to the Marsh Chapel congregation present here in the nave, to our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of ministry and service leadership in our midst. And as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. O day of God, draw nigh in beauty and in power. Come with thy timeless judgment now to match the present hour. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
May we pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you govern all things both in heaven and on earth. Mercifully hear the supplications of your people, and in our time grant us your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. A greeting and a verse to us from our parishioner and friend, Dr. Chris Cayley in New Haven, Connecticut, remembering a word from Augustine of Hippo. When you have to listen to abuse, that means you are being buffeted by the wind. When your anger is roused, you are being tossed by the waves. So when the winds blow and the waves mount high, the boat is in danger, your heart is imperiled, your heart is taking a battering. On hearing yourself insulted, you long to retaliate, but the joy of revenge brings with it another kind of misfortune, shipwreck. Why is this? Because Christ is asleep in you. What do I mean? I mean you have forgotten his presence. Rouse him then. Remember him. Let him keep watch within you. Pay heed to him. A temptation arises. It is the wind. It disturbs you. It is the surging of the sea. This is the moment to awaken Christ and let him remind you of these words. Who can this be? Even the winds and the sea obey him. Let us pray. Beloved, hear the gospel, the gospel of grace, of freedom, of mercy, of forgiveness, of pardon, of peace, of truth, of love. 
If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the book of the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, truly I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a boy, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. Say today, see today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms, to pluck, out, to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Please join me in reading verses from Psalm 71 responsibly with the antiphon. take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, for my youth. Upon you I have learned from my birth. It was you who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually in you. rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke, chapter 4, verses 21 through 30. Glory, Glory to you, O Lord. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is not this Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, Do here also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel at the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, 
drove him out of the town and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Christ. Strange, the strange world of the Holy Scripture, mysterious and uncanny, that word, passage, pericope, book of holy writ. Unlike anything you have heard the last seven days or will hear in the seven days to come, that Mysterium Tremendum, that numinous other. Today, according to St. Luke, who stands before us in our nave every Lord's Day, just stage left of Jesus in all his dominical authority, Matthew and Mark to the right of Jesus, Luke and John to the left of Jesus. Luke chapter 4, verses 21 
through 30. In the wee hours, you wake from a dream and can remember for a moment the choreography of the dream, the color of the dream, the narrative of the dream, the characters of the dream. There your mind, unfettered, has produced a whole cinema. Strange. Walking midwinter, unbeckoned, Your heart is pierced with a feeling of three decades past, a longing, a hurt, a desire, a feeling. Strange. Unwanted and unwelcomed, one way or another, news comes of the death of a close friend, a beloved mentor, a relative. Strange. Sunday morning, you come to worship, to worship. The strange world of the scripture, holy, ancient writ, opens before us today. Luke presents us a thicket of troubles. Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. A prophet is not without honor except in her own country. Elijah and Elisha go to Sidon and Syria. St. Luke is presenting all of his gospel in one episode for you. Listen to its mysterious curving Contours. Luke standing every week, stage left, alongside his Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is the passage rolling toward you. Says Jesus, speaking now, today this word is fulfilled in your hearing. But the word is from Isaiah 61 and Isaiah 58, and the marrow of it, the actual content of it, is not fulfilled, was not fulfilled in the first century, and it certainly is not fulfilled today. Every valley has not been lifted up. Every mountain and hill has not been brought down. The crooked have not been made straight. All flesh has not seen it together. He means something else. Today this scripture has been fulfilled In your hearing. The fulfillment is reading and audience, voice and ear. The resurrection is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, spoken, uttered, heard. Are we lovers anymore? No, the gospel is not justice or justice only. Make no mistake, real religion is never very far from a concern for justice. But Isaiah 61 and Isaiah 58, fulfilled here, are not fulfilled only purely in justice. Justice is a part, but not the heart of the gospel. Justice is a just part but not the pure heart of the gospel. Do you begin to see why the audience got a little angry with what they were hearing? 
Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, not in your doing, in your hearing. Heaven does not touch earth when we finish a full, complete national health care plan, as good as that would be. The gospel is not summarized once American socialism is resuscitated, as good as that would be. The full meaning of the life, destiny, death, and destiny of Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Christ, and him crucified is not summed up in some particular agenda, passage, program, or act toward justice, though real religion is never very far from justice. Do you hear why they're getting so upset? He names the two great pillars of the prophetic tradition. He's arguing with prophecy, as at the end of the sermon we will hear St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 do again. He's pushing against it. He says, here is Elijah and here is Elisha. Now we have to study a little bit here to know what's going on. Elisha, in a time of a great drought, comforted them not and went instead to visit one lone widow in Sidon, a foreign area for all purposes. That is a Gentile. In Elisha, following the shadow of Elisha, in a time of great malady and illness, a leprous landscape, went himself, comforted them not, and went just to a lone, single Gentile in Syria. Gospel is the resurrection of the dead in the speaking and hearing of grace. It is ever moving from interior to exterior, from familiar to strange, from expected to unexpected. It gathers up all the desire and longing for justice, but justice is not the gospel. Much of the last 60 years of quasi-theological education to the contrary, notwithstanding. The gospel is bigger, truer, deeper, fuller, and most frightening, much more personal. The scripture is fulfilled, come Sunday, in your hearing Are we lovers anymore? You tell me who, how, and as you love, and I will tell you who you are. Dime como amas y te diré quien eres. God is at work loving the world. God is at work loving the world to make and keep human life human. We might add a footnote for those who are going into the ministry. Don't go into the ministry if you need to if you need to be liked. If you need overwhelmingly to be liked, I mean, I like to be liked. I'm I'm a likable person. Many people in the choir, some people in the choir, would say he's a likable person. I like to be liked. Don't go into the ministry if you not only like but need to be liked, because then you will not be able to say what needs saying when people don't like it, do what needs doing when people don't like it, preach what needs preaching when people don't like it. 
This is Luke chapter 4. Follow a familiar story. It's a sports story. Though it's not about football, I decided for this Sunday, for whatever reason, in Boston, I would not speak about football on January 31st. An avid, we are an avid fan of our home football team. What great grace and glory we have seen, how much we enjoy, but we'll leave that for another day, months, say, from now. Although football has its issues, doesn't it? Especially for us, the avid fans now. Vince Lombardi said football is not a contact sport. Football is a a collision sport. And our two professors, McKee and Stearns, here at Boston University are teaching us just what happens now. 30% of all professional players suffer dementia. So we're going to leave aside the gridiron and move for a minute to our national pastime. Think back to 1919 in the little village, the dusty, small village of Cairo, Georgia. There's a family, an African-American family, living on a small street there. Forward two decades almost to Pasadena, California, and one of those five has moved west, and he is an athlete. Pasadena, we think of as that place on New Year's Day of the Rose Bowl Parade, and we're shivering in the north, and all those people are in their shirt sleeves in the southwest. Not that there's any jealousy there. Off he went to Pasadena. Major, he had four letters, the least of which, by the way, was baseball. He spent a time, learned a great deal in the armed services, served his country with distinction, and then was ready to play professional baseball, you know, for the Monarchs. You remember the Monarchs. Oh, no, you don't. Kansas City Monarchs, the longest-standing team in the old Negro Leagues. But something happened. Do you have a sense of who this is? Something happened in 1945 that came along, not with our Pasadena player, but with an Ohio Wesleyan graduate. A coach whose name was Branch Rickey, who had played baseball at Ohio Wesleyan and been a coach in that school. We have one of the presidents of Ohio Wesleyan here with us today in the balcony. Well, actually, he's in the stained glass, not in the flesh. James Bashford, that alma mater of Norman Vincent Peale and Ernest Fremont Tittle and Ralph Sockman and a few other less dignitary folks near and far. A place along the Olentangy River where the connection between deep personal faith and active social involvement was combined in a confluence that Ricky also knew in his family and in his home and in his upbringing and his modest mid-Ohio Methodist church. Ranch Ricky was a cigar-smoking, tea-totaling, Bible-quoting, Republican, businessman, Methodist from the Midwest. And along in the middle of his Ohio Wesleyan career, he had an experience. He had a good team. The catcher, fine player, was an African-American player. And they could go and stay most places where they went for the night, played, and came home. But every now and then they'd go somewhere where, just as it happens, you know, there were enough rooms for everybody except the catcher. They had enough rooms except for one. And so the catcher 
Ricky said, you'll stay with me. And together they stayed in one room with one washstand. And something happened with Branch Ricky. Now, by, by now you know that the player is Jackie Robinson, whom Ricky recruited first to go to Montreal to play with the Royals. We used to go to that stadium with our children for one Canadian dollar and sit in the back row, so wonderful. But he wasn't there very long, though. He batted 3.30 that year. He came down on April 15, 1947, to stand in Ebbets Field and play with the Dodgers. Some of you will remember the nickname of the Dodgers. They were called the Bums. You don't get that nickname because you win every game. You don't get that nickname because you win the pennant. You don't get that nickname because you know how to defeat that other team in New York whose name is skipping my mind right now. Ricky had a problem. He wasn't a saint, but he was an active, engaged person of faith. And so... He brought Rick, Ricky brought Robinson in, and together they integrated professional baseball out of an experience that Ricky had, not just of a programmatic longing for justice, but of an experience of love. Ricky could never have done what he did without, he could ne never have generated the risk and the courage and the imagination to move in the way he did without the nourishing waters, the water of love coming down around and through him. And the rest is history. With Robinson, that same team went on to win the pennant in 1955. Robinson, for all of the spikes and all of the ranting and all of the rancor and all of the shouting, went on to become inducted into the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York in 1962, where, as you know, 150 years ago, Abner Doubleday created the American pastime of baseball. He went on to serve two decades as a leader in the NAACP. Cornell William Brooks, the current president of the NAACP, will be at the School of Public Health here in Boston uh, University on February 3rd. And then he died having founded his own bank and become the highest paid athlete in American sports. He died at a relatively young age in 1962. Ricky and Robinson, Robinson's number being 42, now banned from use in all of baseball to honor what he did in breaking the race barrier. Robinson born in 1919, on, one, on what date? January 31st. 131 is the birthday of 42, and we honor him today. You know, those who came following Robinson and Ricky looked for ways to catch the baton after them. Were they many? No. Were they remembered not always very well? There are a few. And one baton sits, lies somewhere in your life, along your workbench, in your office, somewhere in the kitchen. There's a, a torch being passed. There's a baton someone's asking you to take. It's written in the language of love from Luke chapter 4. Today, 
this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Are we lovers anymore? One of the strangest successors to Jackie Robinson was a flawed individual from from St. Louis named Kurt Flood, who in the next decade, as Robinson had for the race barrier, shattered, splintered the, the system in baseball of holding people to the same team. The reserve clause said he, a well-paid slave, is still a slave, and for all his faults, he caught the baton and ran. In our own time, just six weeks ago, across the city at a Fenway Writers Group, we heard the young leaders of our own home team, the Boston Red Sox, narrate a difficult set of stories on this issue from the city of Boston in frank, blunt candid terms and then go on to say and explain with happiness and pride what the team is doing now and will into the future. They caught the baton and held on. There's a baton around for you. Branch Rickey's denomination has one laying there ready to be picked up in May of 2016. We're going to have a big meeting in Methodism, a general conference, and while there be a thousand details that might be considered, there's really only one agenda item. Are gay people people? Does the gospel affirm the full humanity of gay people or not? This is not an issue of justice, Isaiah 61, 58, though it is that, not an issue of moral teaching only, not an issue of social ethics only. This is the marrow of the gospel itself. The preaching of the gospel in our time, take the baton, centers on, holds, and requires the full affirmation of gay women and men. We'll continue to do our bit here at Marsh Chapel. We marry gay people right here, the altar regularly as the dean. If there's no other pattern or possibility, I will personally be sure that they are married here in accordance, by the way, with the Methodist Book of Discipline, which leaves such decisions to pastoral discretion as it should, quote, in accord with the laws of the state and the rules of the church, taking that baton. Love is stronger than death. Love nourishes the ongoing hunger for justice which hunger cannot feed itself, Elijah. Love slakes the ongoing thirst for justice, which thirst cannot feed itself, Elijah. So Paul, often read at weddings, nothing wrong with that, but actually is following Luke 4 here in his jostling of justice, saying, and here we conclude today, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and give over my body to be burned, but have not love, I am nothing. 
Love is patient and kind, not jealous or boastful, not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice in the wrong, but rejoices in the right. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For our prophecies are imperfect and our knowledge is imperfect. But when the perfect comes, the imperfect will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall understand fully, even as I have been fully understood. So faith, hope, love, abide, these three. The greatest of these is love. Are we lovers anymore? This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing.
As we come now to a time of prayer in our service, I invite you to remain standing, to be seated, to come to the altar rail, to assume a position of prayer that best allows you to support the prayers of the community. As the choir leads us in our call to prayer, lead me, Lord. Today's prayer petitions come from the the African Methodist Episcopal Liturgy of 1882. O God, from whom all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works do proceed, give unto thy servants that peace which the world cannot give, that our hearts may be set to obey thy commandments, and also that by thee, we, being defended from the fear of our enemies, may pass our time in rest and quietness through the merits of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, the high and mighty ruler of the universe, who dost from thy throne behold all the dwellers upon earth, most heartily we beseech thee with thy favor to behold and bless thy servant, the President of the United States, Barack Obama, our Governor of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, Charlie Baker, and the Mayor of the City of Boston, Marty Walsh, and all others in authority. And so replenish them with the grace of thy Holy Spirit, that they may always incline to thy will and walk in thy way. Endue them plenteously with heavenly gifts, Grant then in health and posterity long to live, and finally after this life to attain everlasting joy and felicity through Jesus Christ our Lord. O God, the creator and preserver of all humankind, we humbly beseech thee for all sorts and conditions of people, that thou wouldst be pleased to make thy ways known unto them, thy saving health unto all nations. More especially, we pray for thy holy church universal, that it may be so guided and governed by thy good spirit, that all who profess and call themselves Christians may be led into the way of truth and hold the faith in unity of spirit, in the bond of peace, and in righteousness of life. Finally, we commend to thy goodness all those who are in any way afflicted or distressed, 
in mind, body, or estate, that it may please thee to comfort and relieve them according to their several necessities, giving them patience under their sufferings and a happy issue out of all their afflictions. And this we beg for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. And we are bold to pray in the words Jesus taught his people. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. It's a joy to worship with you in person, via the radio, or virtually this morning. Um, Several announcements from our community. First of all, our term books, which let you know about all the upcoming events and services for the entire semester, are available um, after this service in the back. 
Uh, second of all, we'd really like to get to know you and get to know your name better here at the chapel. And uh, there's a couple ways to do that, one of which is these red pads found in the center of each aisle um, in, in the nave here. You can fill out your name and contact info, and that way we can get to know you a bit better. You can also email us at chapel at bu.edu. We'd love for you to check in with us. Do you like ice skating? Do you like Groundhog's Day? Do you like Dean Hill? If you like one or several or all of those things, um, there will be ice skating on Frog Pond on Groundhog Day with Dean Hill this week. Um, simply meet at the, at the uh, Frog Pond at Boston Common at 1 p.m. Uh, this Tuesday to enjoy that fabulous annual event. Um, a, a quick note that next week, because of the Bach Cantata, we will not be having our covered dish luncheon, and that will be a little bit later in the month, but there's always coffee hour. And now we have an announcement for our music department from Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett. Thank you for that reminder, Jen. Uh, next week is the third installment in our Bach Experience series. We have a um, uh, survey of Bach cantatas uh, throughout term each semester. And uh, next Sunday is Cantata 31, Heaven Laughs, the Earth Rejoices. And uh, this, this year's Bach Cantata series is all focused on Easter cantatas of Bach. And so each time we've been able to look at how Bach treats uh, the lessons for that day and celebrates the, re celebrates the resurrection with these cantatas. Uh, next week we'll gather here in the nave at 9.45 for our informal chat uh, with musical demonstrations from the chapel choir and the collegium, followed by breakfast downstairs, and then, of course, the full cantata performed in the liturgy next, next Sunday. Thank you, Jen. Thanks, Dr. Jarrett. And now as the ushers come forward to wait upon us for our tithes and our offerings, it, I remind us that it is a joy and a discipline to be a giver. And so as you bring forward your offerings, I invite you to meditate upon the choir's offering for us, Mozart's setting of Laudate Dominum.
great divine, thank you for the gifts that you have given us. Receive these our offerings to you as a sign of our gratitude and commitment to you. Show us how to be more loving, more compassionate, and more giving. May we learn to better care for all of your children all around the world as you have called us to. Be with us today and this week as we hold you and your people in our hearts. Amen. Thank you.